0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutin on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, uh, this shouldn't be a surprise to you that we're in chapter 27 because we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of 1 Samuel. Last week was chapter 26, so it's kind of predictable. Today, chapter 27. Uh, And because this is is a short chapter, let's start by reading the whole chapter. So 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. It says, then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul, and there's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose, and he went over, he and his 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And, and David lived in Achish, with, lived at Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If, if, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the, one, one of the country towns uh, that, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave Ziklag to David. Therefore, Ziklag belongs to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the, in the, in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went and made raids against the Geshurites, the Girazites, the, the, the Amalekites, and the Mosquito Bites. I made that part up. For there were the inhabitants of the land from old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but he would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made raids today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremulites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man or woman alive to to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while that he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall be my servant always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that as we open your word this morning, we can hear directly from you. And we pray Lord that your word would would actually minister to the hearts that are in this room this morning. Maybe there's some hearts that are that are that are struggling, some hearts that have kind of strayed from you a little bit, gotten a little far from you. We pray that your word would would draw those hearts back to you this morning. Maybe there's some hearts that are broken and, and, and struggling and, and, and have some anxiety about them. We pray that your word would be a ministering salve to, to minister to them where they're at this morning. But Lord, we pray that your word would speak to your people and heal and change the hearts and the lives of your people. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Everyone say it. Amen. Now, as, as, we, as we look at chapter 27 of the book of 1 Samuel this morning, the, the title of our message today is, is Lessons from a Backslider. Lessons from a Backslider. Because in many ways, at this time in David's life, David is, is sort of a paradox. He's, he's sort of a walking contradiction in that, uh, on the one hand, as, as David's fleeing, as, as David is on the run because Saul's hunting him down, Saul's trying to kill him, uh, on the one hand, David is like a, like a model of what it looks like to walk by faith. He's like a, a model of faith as he forgives Saul again and again and again. So on the one hand, he's like a model of faith, but then on the other hand, David is also an an example of what it looks like to have a lapse of faith as now he finds himself living in the land of the enemy. As Chuck Swindoll puts it in his commentary, Swindoll says, in this chapter, David finds himself in a real identity crisis. He belongs in the camp of the Lord, but he's living in the enemy's camp. And so David, like like many of us today, has one foot in with the Lord and one foot in with the world. In a word, he's a backslider. And so now as we pick it up again in verse 1, we discover two things that led to David's demise. Two things that led to this downward spiral in David's life. So verse 1 says again, Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There, there's, there's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking uh, me any longer in the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So again, th- th- in this passage, there, there are two things that, that, that led to, to this downward spiral in David's life. Now, number one, the first thing was that he was keeping his eyes on on himself. He was keeping his eyes on himself. And then number two, the second thing was that he was talking to himself. He was talking to himself. Now, we look at that, number one. First of all, we we notice in verse one uh, that, 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 that the words I and me are repeated some five different times in this short little verse. We look at it in verse 1. He says, Now I shall perish one day by, by the hand of Saul, and there's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will de- despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. I and me. It's, it's like the unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. And so we see that clearly his eyes were on himself. In fact, in this passage this morning, we notice that David never prays, not even one time. In fact, during this time in his life, he wrote no Psalms, so there was no prayer, there was no worship. As one Bible commentator puts it, the beginning of David's problem in this chapter of his life is that he does not look up, rather he looks within, And so his problem was he was not looking at God, he was looking at himself, and that's where his problems started. But then number two, he was talking to himself. Because again, in verse one it says, then David said in his heart, or as other translations like the New American Standard would render it, David said to himself. And so David, rather than talking to the Lord, is talking to himself at this moment, reminding us that we always get into trouble when we counsel ourselves rather than seeking the one who Isaiah 9 chapter 9 verse 6 calls the wonderful counselor mighty god we get into trouble when we seek our own counsel rather than seeking his counsel you now listen some of us we 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 talk to ourselves and then we call that prayer like the commentator Cyril J. Barber, when he said, the self-sufficient do not pray, they simply talk to themselves. And that's what David was doing. He was talking to himself. And in the process, he, he, he now talks himself into believing that, that one day Saul is, it's is, is just a matter of time before Saul finds him and kills him. And, and he talks himself into believing that the only way out of this is to defect to the enemy, to go to the land of the enemy. And he ultimately talks himself into believing that, that, the, that the same God who's been with them this trial and that trial, the same God who's been with them through this problem and that problem is now somehow going to drop him now. And listen, that's, that's what happens when we counsel ourselves. You know, most of us, our self-talk is usually negative, right? And, and, and you know, we, we, we end up saying things like, you know, this, this is as bad as it's ever been. It, it, this is the worst. It's like the worst ever. He will say, you know, there, there's there's no way out. There's there's no hope in sight. And we'll say, you know what? Even God Himself has forsaken me. Like the way my friend Gino Geraci once put it, he said, uh, Gino said, if if you choose to trust in your emotions and your fears rather than in the Word of God, then you have a fool for a counselor. And David had a fool for a counselor. He was counseling himself. And so ultimately, David reminds us that when our eyes are on ourselves, when our eyes are on our own problems, it won't be long before we're drowning in those problems. Kind of reminds us of Peter. Remember Peter when he was in the, in the boat with the rest of the disciples and there's this storm of the century, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking out on the water to them. And Peter says, well, well Lord, if it really is you, then, then command me to walk out in the water with you. And Jesus says, come on out, the water's fine. So Peter gets out and he actually starts walking on the water. That is until he took his eyes off of Jesus. The moment he took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at the wind and the waves, looking at the storm, that's when he began to sink. That's when he started to drown. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we we get our eyes on ourselves, our eyes on our problems, we start drowning in those problems. In fact, it's interesting. Economists have pointed out that this, this, this interesting trend. They, they've noticed that, that during times of, of economic downfall, times of economic recession, times where the economy is, is on thin ice, so to say, they've noticed this trend where, where tithing to churches or, or even giving to charities plummets, but at the same time, sales of alcohol and drugs and, and pain medications rise. In fact, they, they have like a meteoric rise. That's why Thomas Anderson in, in Kiplinger's magazine, if you don't know Kiplinger's is a, a business and investing magazine, uh, Anderson writes and says, when, when storm clouds gather over the economy, people often seek shelter in a glass of whiskey, a pack of cigarettes, or, or the green blaze of a, of a roulette table, and that's why many financial advisors are telling their clients to invest in sin as a, bu- as a bulwark against recession. So they're telling you to, to gamble, they're telling you to bet on human nature, that it's in human nature to sort of, sort of self-medicate. In fact, uh, virtually all psychological experts agree that, that, that those who turn to drugs and turn to alcohol during times of crisis, that, that, that it's a coping mechanism. They're, they're self-medicating. It's a way of turning to yourself for the answer, only to drown in the answer that you're finding in yourself. And so David, like, like, like many of us, he, he, he's turning to himself rather than turning to God, and that was the beginning of his problems. And now as we look at verses 2 through 7, we see that David's on the run, but he's running the wrong way. Verse 2, so David arose and went over, he and, and, and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And David lived, in, lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, and every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, then let a place be given to me in, in, in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now, there's a couple of dynamics here at work. There's a couple of things happening. Now, on the one hand, this, you might say this is kind of on the level of, of, of maybe, maybe you deciding to move your whole family to another state because the economy is better. You find out they got a better economy, the taxes are lower, the jobs are better, you know, the housing market's better, so you move your family there. In a sense, that's what's happening here. David discovers, you know, it's it's better in Gath. So he not only moves his family, but the families of, of his 600 men, and they go to Gath. But there's more to the story than just that. And, and I think it has to do with this, this phrase, went over, back in verse 2. Notice in verse 2, it says, so David arose and went over over. Other English translations, like like the New American Standard, would say David crossed over. I think that's a better rendering. And the reason I say that is because the Hebrew word that's used here for, for crossed over or went over, it's the Hebrew word abar. And it's a word that, that means to, to go beyond. It, it can be translated to transgress. It can be translated to, to cross the line. In fact, sometimes it's used figuratively to convey the idea that, that you've sinned, uh, by, by, by by disobeying God's command, it's as if God's command drew a line in the sand and then you crossed over that line. You crossed the line. And so literally David crossed the line by going to the, to the, the, the Philistine stronghold, the city of Gath. And keep in mind, Gath was, wasn't just a Philistine stronghold. If you remember, Gath was the hometown to who? To Goliath. And, and by the way, this is actually the second time now that David's gone back to the exact same city. You may remember back in chapter 21, David, again, he's, he's being hunted down, pursued by Saul, and so he flees, he's on the run, and he, he, and, and he runs to Goliath's hometown, and when he shows up, what was he doing? He was actually carrying Goliath's sword in his hand, thinking somehow, foolishly thinking, that the, the, the people who live there were going to help him. Listen, they didn't want to help him, they wanted to kill him. And now all these years later, David now comes back to the same city for a second time. And it's interesting. It seems that one of David's tendencies, whenever things go wrong, whenever the bottom drops out, that one of his tendencies is to go back to the enemy's stronghold. Go back to this Philistine city of Gath. He's gone there now the second time, reminding us of of Proverbs 26, verse 11, that says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Now listen, I've I've said this before, and I love my dog, his name's Moose. But there's some things he does with his mouth, I'm I'm thinking, you know what, don't you even think about licking me. And and sometimes it can be so frustrating to watch the people we love and the people we care about go back and keep doing the same thing over and over and over again to watch them go back to the same bad habit or to watch them go back to, the, to that same addiction or, or to that same abusive relationship over and over and over again. And listen, it's one thing to sort of stumble into it, but it's something else to intentionally go back to it like David keeps going back. I mean, it's one thing to be tempted, but you know, it's another thing to go out of your way to find it. It's like the family that went on vacation in, 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 in Daytona Beach, Florida. They're walking along the beach, and all of a sudden these two women come walking by in these these string bikinis. By string, I mean like dental floss, if you know what I mean. And and, and so as they walk by, the the dad shakes his head, and he's like, how disgusting. And his wife turns and says, really? Well, if it was so disgusting, then why were you staring? At that point, the teenage son chimes in, and he says, well, I think it's because dad likes to be disgusted. (laughs) Listen, when it comes to temptation... We need to remember that 1 Corinthians 6.18 tells us to flee morality. It's telling us not to run to it, but to run from it. But David's problem was that David was running to it. Listen, the Philistines weren't chasing him. The enemy wasn't running after him. He was running to them. He ran to the Philistine stronghold. And quite frankly, the last place David belonged belong was in the enemy stronghold. And yet here he is for the second time, leading one commentator to write these words. I don't know if this commentator was Chuck Swindoll or Warren Wiersbe. Could have been Skip Heidzig, Greg Laurie, Chuck Smith. I, I kind of, it would just call him commentator. And he said, David at this time in his life is a clear illustration of a man who's a believer on the inside, but on the outside he looks just like a non-believer because of how he's living his life. Again, like I said earlier, in this chapter he's not praying, he's not worshiping, all he's doing is running, and I might add he's running the wrong direction. He's running the wrong way. And then almost as if to underscore that, that this was not a spiritual high mark in, 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 in David's life, verse 3 reminds us that during this life, he was married to two different women at the same time. He, he, he had two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, who was, who was Nabal's widow. And so this is revealing yet yet another weakness in David's life. You see, not only did David have this tendency that whenever things went bad, whenever, whenever stuff hit the fan, whenever the bottom dropped out, he had this tendency to, to run to the enemy. But in addition to that, he also struggled with lust. In fact, a recent survey uh, discovered that, that 99% of men struggle with lust. The other 1% struggle with lying. Uh, and so, so David, he, he had this struggle with lust. And ultimately, it was his struggle with lust that led to his downfall with Bathsheba later on. And this just reminds us of how important it is to give everything to God, to give every temptation, to give every struggle, to give every stronghold to the Lord, because if you don't give it to him, it'll come back to haunt you. And by the way, we should point out that this wasn't like a temporary lapse in judgment. It wasn't like a, like a momentary thing. It wasn't like, like this lasted for a day or two or, or a week or two, even a month or two. Verse 7 reminds us that, that David was in this stage of his life for one year and four months. And as we pick it up in verses 8 through 11, these verses reveal the cover-up. Verse 8, Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerizites, the Amalekites, and the Mosquito Bites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would, would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but he would take away the sheep, the oxen, the, 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 the donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say against the Negev of Judah. Now, Negev, by the way, is just a way of saying south. So the, the Negev, or the south of Judah, or against the Negev, or the south of the or the or against the Negev, or the south of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, So David has done. Such was his custom all the while that he lived in the country of the Philistines. So, what's happening here? What was David doing? Well, frankly, he was covering his tracks. Is covering his tracks because listen when you're in sin when when, when a believer is living a double life when, when when you have one foot in with the Lord and one foot out listen you're always covering your tracks right you don't want anybody to know you, you know you're hoping no one's gonna find out and so you you cover this and you bury that and and you're always covering your tracks that's what David was doing that's interesting David is, is working so hard to cover his tracks He's, he's killing everybody. He, he's covered his tracks. He thinks no one knows. And yet here we are reading about it. Maybe his tracks weren't as covered as he thought they were. You know, it kind of reminds me of, of Moses. I've shared this before. You know, Moses, he, 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 when, when he killed that Egyptian. Remember, he sees this Egyptian soldier beating one of his fellow Jews. And so the Bible tells us that Moses looked to the left and he looked to the right. No one was watching. So then he killed the Egyptian soldier and then buried him. Now listen, he might have looked to the left and he might have looked to the right, but he forgot to look up. He forgot that God was watching. It's like that little boy this last week that was going, you know, trick-or-treating and he, and he comes up to this door and there's this big bowl of apples with a sign on that says, please just take one. Remember, God's watching. And by the way, why do people do that? Leave this big old bowl and say, just take one. Yeah, right. Like one bowl. I mean, you probably saw on Facebook, the, it's going around viral. It's, you know, all the, the, these, these moms going door to door, raiding like all of the bowls of candy? Moms. So then little boy, he goes to the next door and then there's this bowl of candy bars. So he takes out a piece of paper, writes a note and says, take as many as you want. God's next door watching the apples. (laughs) Not only was that Moses, that was David. David had forgot that God was watching. He's covering his tracks. He's burying this and burying that. And all the while, God is watching. That's the life of the backslider. A constant life of looking over your shoulder and hiding this and hiding that, all the while not realizing God's been watching the whole time. And now as we look at this last verse, verse 12, we have some lessons from a backslider. Verse 12, And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore he shall always be my servant." Now, it's interesting that this this closes by telling us that David had made himself an utter stench to his people, Israel. I think really the picture is that quite frankly, David at this time did not fit anywhere. (laughs) David didn't fit anywhere. I mean, because at this moment, you know, because he's crossed the line, because he's crossed over, because now he's, he's in enemy territory living with the enemy. His own people don't want him anymore. He's a stench to them. But then later on in chapter 29, uh, we discovered that even the Philistines don't want David. They don't like him. They don't trust him. They don't want him around. And so frankly, he was a stench to everyone. Kind of reminds me of Proverbs 29 verse 27 that says, An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Do you know what that verse is saying? What that verse is saying is, you know, on the one hand, how, how you as a follower of God, how you as a Christian really don't like being around non-Christians as much. You know, maybe in the workplace and you hear how they're, they're talking all the time and cussing and talking about who they're sleeping with and they're doing this and doing that. And you just don't like being around that anymore. The, 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 you know, the, the, the unjust have become an abomination to the righteous. But you know what else it's saying? It's also saying they feel the same way about you. They don't like being around you. You're like Captain Killjoy. So as much as you don't like being around them, they don't like being around you. And so the unjust is an abomination to the righteous, but he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. And frankly, David was an abomination to both. No one wanted him around. God's people didn't want him around. The enemy didn't want him around. He didn't fit anywhere. And listen, when a believer who, who, who personally knows the Lord, has a personal relationship with the Lord, listen, that believer is never going to fit in the enemy's camp they won't want you around. You, you'll always be a stench. But at the same time, a, a, a believer who, who, who knows the Lord, who then is living like the enemy or, ref, or, or trying to live with the enemy, is going to be a stench to the enemy and also to the people of God. Because now that you're living among the enemy and you're living like the enemy, the people of God don't want you around. And so it's like you don't fit anywhere And so verse 7 reminds us that David was in this condition, this this backslidden condition, this this condition of being one foot in and one foot out, this this condition of of not fitting anywhere, this condition of being a stench to, to, to all parties. He lived in this condition for one year and four months. As we said, David was in the midst of an identity crisis, a follower of God living in the enemy's camp. In the same way, how many of you know someone who, who, who you know, it's like they, they go out drinking and partying every Saturday, but they still make it to church on Sunday? And perhaps the, the, the most miserable of all people to be is, is, is the compromised Christian, the backslidden believer who has just enough of God in them to feel miserable at the party, but just enough of the world in them to feel miserable at church. It's like they don't fit anywhere. That's where David was. Now, in this passage this morning, we see that that there were three steps that led David to this condition. There were three steps that led David to this backslidden condition. What were those steps? Step number one, we saw that that his first step was that David was no longer seeking counsel from God, but instead he he was counseling himself. He'd become his own counselor, as as verse 1 said. He said, in his heart, or he said to himself. So he's counseling himself, he's advising himself, rather than seeking God's wisdom and God's counsel. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and end with filthy garments. J.C. Ryle had said, backsliding generally first begins with a neglect of private prayer where it starts. We neglect prayer. We neglect Bible study. We we, we stop turning to his word for counsel, and we start counseling ourselves, and then that leads to step two. And step number two for David was was compromised morals. Remember, back in chapter 25, we saw that David uh, had gotten married to two different women. It was in chapter 25 that he married Abigail, the widow of Nabal, and also married at the same time Ahinoam of Jezreel. And, and, and ultimately, David knew what the Bible said. David knew, knew that the Bible condemned polygamy. David knew God's word. David knew that Deuteronomy chapter 17 strictly said that kings should not have multiple wives. And yet, even though he knew that that's what the Bible said, nevertheless, he did it anyway. He knew what the Bible said, and he did the exact opposite, reminding us. that that when we're no longer seeking counsel from the word of God, it won't be long that we talk ourselves into disobeying the word of God. One step leads to the next step. So he, 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 he was counseling himself, wasn't seeking God's counsel, and now he talks himself into disobeying God's counsel, and then that leads to step number three, which is he crossed over to the enemy camp. Again, verse two in the New American Standard, it says, so David arose and crossed over he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. So David crosses over to the enemy camp. He finds himself in the wrong place with the wrong people and it wasn't long until he started doing the wrong stuff. That's That's how it always works. Whenever you find yourself in the wrong place with the wrong people, it won't be long before you're doing the wrong things. That's why 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. Whereas the Puritan writer William Foster once put it, he said, he that lies down with dogs gets up with fleas. And so it's true. If you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, it's, it's, it's a matter of time before you're doing what they do. Now you might start off and think, well, you know what? Maybe I'll influence them. Maybe I can win them over for Christ. Maybe I can win them to the Lord. Yeah, maybe... But chances are, they're going to influence you. How do I know that? Because it all started by you crossing over to their side. You crossed the line. They didn't come over to you to seek advice. They didn't come over to your side and ask you what God thinks. They didn't come over to you to to, to find God's wisdom in their life. No, you crossed over to them. It started in compromise. And oftentimes, what starts in compromise leads to more compromise. It's been said that, that health is not contagious, sickness is, and in the same way, sin is catching, holiness is not. When we're around them, we usually get what they have. <laughs> and, and by the way, we should point out that, that, that David's sin, D- David's backsliding in this chapter, affected more than just David. You see, we tend to think that, that you know, uh, uh, you, you know that, that it just affects me. But listen, when David crossed that, that enemy line, when he crossed over to the enemy's camp, it wasn't like he went over there by himself. No, it tells us he brought his 600 men and their families with him. So we tend to think, you know, hey, listen, you know, uh, my decisions only affect me. You know, so what, what I choose to do and the way I choose to live, you know, it just affects me. So I'll take my lumps, you know, I'll, I'll make my decisions, I'll do what I want to do, and then I'll live with the consequences. But again, as Chuck Swindoll puts it, nobody takes his lumps alone. You'll always drag others with you. And David did. David drugged 600 men and their families with him to the enemy camp. And yet in this, as I see that David took these three steps, he, he, he no longer sought God's counsel, no longer sought God's word, and then talked himself into disobeying God's word. And then step three, he, he crossed over, he crossed the line. And even though he took these three steps, nevertheless, we discover that there's, it only takes one step to come back. Jeremiah 3.22 tells us, return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. It just takes one step. It's been said that the quickest way back to God is to stop what you're doing and turn around. Listen, we all know the story of the so-called prodigal son in in Luke chapter 15. The story of this rebellious son who who takes all that his father's given him and then he squanders it away in in wild living and wayward living and sinful living. And then like like any backslider, he thinks, you know what, When, when, when my father finds out all that I've been involved in, when my father finds out everything that I've been doing, he's gonna kill me only to discover that, that, that when he repented, when he came back home, his father embraced him and forgave him. reminding us of, of, of the truth of, of Romans 2 verse 4 that says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It reminds me, and I've shared this, but it's been a while. Years ago, decades ago, there was a, a brokenhearted father in Spain. And he's brokenhearted because it, his, his son had gotten involved in drugs and, and, in, and in some gang activity and some violence, and, and so he had to kick his son out. But after a while, he regretted it, and he wanted to restore his relationship with his son, so he took out a full-page ad in the newspaper called the Madrid Sun Times. And, and the ad wrote and, and said this. It said, Paco, I forgive you, and I want you to come home. I'll meet you tomorrow in the park uh, across from the newspaper office. Love, Dad. And would you believe the very next day, 800 young men, all named Paco, showed up at the, at the park across from the newspaper office, hoping that it was their dad who said, I love you, all is forgiven, come home. And I'm here to tell you that if you happen to find yourself in the, in the shoes of Paco, or in the shoes of David, or in the shoes of the prodigal son, if you happen to be in that place where you've taken three steps away from the Lord, you started off just not listening to his counsel and you start counseling yourself and then you talked yourself into disobeying his counsel and then finally you crossed the line, you crossed over. I'm here to remind you it just takes one step to come home, to stop what you're doing and turn around. I'm here to remind you that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that because of the work of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, our sins have been forgiven. And because of his work, we can be restored. Because of his work, we can be embraced. Because of his work, no matter what we've done, no matter how many lines we've crossed, we can come home. Listen, maybe that's you. Maybe maybe you're in the shoes of Paco the shoes of David, the shoes of the prodigal son or daughter. And you've been taking this step away from the Lord and that step away from the Lord and this step. But now you found yourself here this morning and you're here for a reason. It's because the Lord wants you to take one more step, but this time it's a step in the right direction. It's that one step that says, I'm turning around. I'm stopping what, I'm gonna, what I've been doing and I'm turning back to you, to those arms that want to embrace me, to those arms that want to forgive me. Listen, if that's you, if you need to be forgiven, if you need to be restored you want to come back home, just raise your hand and and I'll pray for you and I'll help you make that step to come back. If that's you, just put your hand up in the air and I'll pray for you now. I see those hands. But for those that are raising their hands here in this place or maybe online watching, I pray for them, Lord. I pray that you would embrace them in your loving arms. If that was your hand that went up, just pray in your heart and pray this with me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I've sinned against you. My heart is strayed, it's wandered, but now I want to come home, forgive me. And Lord, thank you that, 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 that you died for my sins and that because you died, I can live and I can live forgiven, I can live as a child of God. I pray in Jesus name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.